In this podcast, I'd like to share with you the story of a missionary whose name I'm going to terribly mispronounce. It is Bartholomus Zeigenbalg. He was the first Protestant missionary to India, and while India has never really forgotten him, I'm afraid the rest of the world kind of has, but he is a fascinating person to study. He was born in Pulsitz, Saxony, in southeast Germany, on July 10th, 1682, okay, over 400 years ago. Now, Bartholomew's parents were very devout Christians, and at a young age, they discovered he was extremely gifted in music, and because of that, he was sent to the University of Hall. And again, I'm going to end up mispronouncing some of these, and I apologize, um, but there he studied under August Hermann Frank. Okay. Okay. In 1705, King Frederick IV of Denmark had a time of really searching his conscience after his mistress died in childbirth. Now, considering he had a mistress who died in childbirth, I think it was a good idea that he was searching his conscience. Out of this, out of this time of soul-searching, came a desire to send missionaries to India, missionaries whom he would finance. Now, remember that Bartholomew is at the University of Hale, and he is studying under August Frank. August Frank is also a professor of divinity. And he became very well acquainted with Bartholomew and had been extremely impressed with Bartholomew's commitment to the Lord in his love of God. And so he recommended Bartholomew and one of his classmates, and here's another word I'm going to mispronounce, Heinrich Plutzkau. Okay, so we're going to refer to them as Bartholomew and Heinrich. Their destination would be the Danish East India Company, uh, the colony of Trakabar in the Indian state of Tamil Nadu. So they sailed on a ship called the Sophia Hedwig, November 29, 1705, and they arrived on July 9, 1706. So, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, it was seven or eight months before they finally arrived at their destination. So when we think back to missionaries during this time period, we have to realize just traveling to a distant land like that was quite literally taking your life in your own hands. And the time that they spent on the sea was extremely long. There were a lot of instances that I have read where missionaries suffered from things like terrible seasickness. Uh, so this was a brave thing to do, a brave thing to be willing to do. So Bartholomew and Heinrich headed off, and they arrived in 1706. And to give you some perspective, that's 70 years before the United States uh, signed the Declaration of Independence. So he arrives, and he was very keen to learn the local language of Tamil. But first, in order to study Tamil, he had to learn Portuguese. Well, he got restless with trying to do all this. And so he decided maybe the best way to learn to speak the language would be to learn to speak it with kids. So he arranged to attend classes with the local native school children. 
and the teacher soon moved the classes to his house, and Bartholomew would sit down on the ground alongside the kids, practicing his letters in the sand, as Indians had done for centuries. And he, re- he, he began to pick up the language. Now, this is pretty neat, that a missionary would be humble enough that he would sit down with the local native school children for their classes and learn alongside them so he could learn their language. He spent hours reading and studying the language, and this man was so determined to master it that when his eyes, when Bartholomew's eyes were too tired to read anymore, he would get someone to read them, read the books to him. Within three months, Bartholomew could converse into mill. Within three months. This man was incredibly gifted. He was incredibly intelligent, as we'll see as we go through this. And it's neat that he used all those gifts and all that intelligence for the Lord. Here he was, studying music at a prestigious university under a prestigious professor. And he was willing to literally sail away from all of that to carry the good news of the gospel to India. Uh, Now... He faced a lot of opposition in India, but it wasn't from the Indian people. It was from his own people. It was from uh, the governor of that uh, area, the European governor, the Danish colonist, and even from some of his own leaders uh, there in India. Now, on on board the ship that took him to India, the captain got angry with him and threw all of his money overboard. The funding that the king of Denmark had sent him was all thrown overboard. So he arrived in India without a penny. I don't know what happened if Heinrich still had his money, but Bartholomew's money was gone. And then sometimes the king of Denmark would forget to send him funding, would forget to send him the promised money, and that left uh, would leave Bartholomew in a difficult position. Now, the Danish colonials that were living in the area refused to cooperate with him. And they said there was no way they would attend church services with Indians. They were too good. They were so much superior to the Indian people. They weren't about to attend church services with them. Now, um, so that's one part of the opposition that he faced from uh, Europeans there in India. Then... He also had some opposition from the Hindus, from the upper caste Brahmins. He was uh, very open in his criticism of how they treated people of lower caste. And it came to the point where some of the upper caste Brahmins had a plot to kill him. But thankfully that plot never came to fruition. The Lord protected him. Now, despite the opposition that he was facing... Uh, Bartholomew, he kept he kept preaching, he kept teaching, he kept reaching out, and he was popular among the people, primarily among the Indians. Now, in an interesting aspect of this, Bartholomew didn't see his missionary work as just being for the souls of people. Where he saw injustice, he would speak out against it. He fought for the rights of the Indian people in the face of imperialism coming from the Danish colonials, which is probably uh, a big part of 
the opposition he faced from them. When he found out that his converts, that the Indian people that had converted to Christianity under his ministry were losing their jobs because they had converted, he gave them money out of his own pocket so they could survive. So like I said, he didn't view it as just people's souls, but he was against injustice and he was against people starving to death. He was against people doing without because they had chosen to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And any way that he could help people, he would. Um, his work and his preaching, his teaching, and his fight against injustice hindered the abuse and enslavement of the Tamil locals. Uh, the, the, now, this abuse and enslavement was at the hands of the Danish East India Company. No doubt, his preaching and teaching convicted these people. They tried their best to get him expelled from India, but it didn't work. Now, when I mentioned earlier that the Danish colonials refused to worship with Indian Christians because they felt they were so superior. So when they refused to worship with the Tamil people, Bartholomew put things go got things going to build a church for his converts so that they could have their own church. And he continued to fight for their rights against the colonists. Now, at one point, uh, his defense and his fight against injustice landed him in jail. This incident began when he was trying to help the Tamil widow of a local barber collect on a debt that was owed by a Catholic translator employed by the Danes. They called Bartholomew in for questioning on his role in this incident, and he refused to cooperate with their procedures because he felt they were illegal. So they put him in solitary confinement for four months, and they charged him with inciting rebellion. So, I imagine the devil was here at the, aha, we have shut up Bartholomew for a while. He was actually getting converts. He was getting enough converts they had to build a church for him. So he gets put in solitary confinement for four months. So what does Bartholomew do while he's in solitary confinement? He takes this as an opportunity to write two books, The God-Pleasing Life of Pastors and The God-Pleasing Life of Christians. Now, he was different from a lot of other missionaries. He was very humble. Like I said, he was willing to study with the kiddos in order to learn the language. He was willing to fight against injustice. Another thing that made him different was he was one of those earliest missionaries that felt the best way to reach a new culture was to become a part of that culture, to live among them, to attend their school and really try to understand their culture. He studied their religion so he could better understand it and better understand how to present the gospel to them. As a result, he became the very first missionary to make the decision not to Europeanize his converts. He was determined to make converts to Jesus Christ, not converts to the European way of living and the European way of dressing and the European way of behaving. His view was if the local culture, an aspect of the local culture, was not in opposition to biblical teachings, then it wasn't up to him to preach against it. 
Their culture, as much as it did not come in conflict with the Bible, could remain. That was his understanding of the Bible's teachings about reaching the lost. So he was one of the very first missionaries to do this. And there weren't a lot of missionaries that adopted this. Uh, later on, one of the famous ones that adopted that approach would have been uh, J. Hudson Taylor when he arrived in China. Um, so this was very uncommon. But this was a key to his influence among the uh, people that he was trying to reach. Now, another cool thing about Bartholomew is he brought music into the church. If you recall, we've uh, talked about at the very beginning, he was very gifted in music. Now, when he went overseas to serve the Lord as a missionary, the Lord didn't take the music away from him, but the Lord gave him a way to use it in a manner to glorify the kingdom of God. Um, he discovered that among the Christian community of Indians there, there were some very gifted poets and musicians. And so he introduced the singing of Tamil lyrics to Indian melodies, Christian lyrics in their own language. So he helped them develop their own hymns in their own language to praise and worship God. And he translated a collection of German hymns using the original meters and tunes, and adapted them to the Tamil language. So he was able to take that wonderful gift that he had for music and use it to help these people express their love for God with song and with music. Music wasn't the only thing that Bartholomew introduced to the Indian church there in Tamil Nadu. He also championed the need of a printing press. Now, is he, he sent word back to Europe that they needed a printing press. These people needed the Bible in their own language. They needed Christian literature in their own language. They needed hymns written down, printed in their own language. So um, he was able to get in contact with the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge of London. This was a Christian society who had been forbidden to work in that area of India. However, they could help Bartholomew, and they were only too happy to help. They sent everything Bartholomew needed to get a printing press going, except a printer. And Bartholomew was able to find a a gentleman among the colonists that was trained as a printer. So he found a printer there, a Danish printer there in India. Now, one of the biggest problems they faced was trying to develop a suitable typeface for the Tamil language. The original one they used was too large. And as you uh, know from um, working with computers and all of that, Microsoft Word or something like that. If you have too big of a typeface, you can't fit as much on the paper. And if the typeface is too big, you end up wasting paper. So the original typeface they had, while it was readable, it was too big and it was using up too much paper, which was a finite resource. So eventually, Bartholomew was able to find someone there in uh, India to create a suitable typeface that was still legible but was small enough so that it could make efficient use of the paper. This allowed him to not only begin printing the New Testament,
pamphlets to start printing Christian pamphlets in books. Now get this, guys. This was India's first printing press. And it was a Protestant missionary from Saxony that is, uh, got it started with help from the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge in London. Well, if he's printing the Bible, he had to get it translated to the Tamil language, which he did. Now, if you just think about, say, you were to copy the entire Bible out by hand, how long would that take you? Now, think about translating it into a new language. How long would that take you? Now, think about translating it into a language whose alphabet is not something you're familiar with, so you had to learn the alphabet, too. That's what he had to do. He translated the Bible from uh, his language. He translated the New Testament. He wasn't able to complete the Old Testament. But he translated the New Testament into a language uh, whose written alphabet was totally different from what he was used to. But he did it. He felt very strongly that these people needed to have the Bible in their own language. They needed to be able to hold that Bible and read it for themselves because he knew, he knew the power of the Word of God, the power that it has to change lives. And nothing takes the place of that. So in 1708, he began the translation. He finished in 1711, but it would be a few years before he could get it physically published. He also began working to translate the Old Testament, but um, only got to the book of Ruth. I say only, just that's a huge amount. Before he passed away, he managed to get to the book of Ruth. And if you go on the internet, you can find a picture that shows what that original printed uh, Bible looked like, what the pages looked like. It's beautiful, but um, even more beautiful is to be able to take the Word of God and put it into the hands of the people so that they could read it for themselves, so they could hear from the Lord for themselves, so they could begin to study it and take it in and let it transform their lives. And, you know, we take for granted the fact that we can go to the store and buy a Bible in our language and read it. We take that so for granted. There are still countries that cannot get their hands on a Bible in their language. Even if uh, there, and I'm not absolutely sure about this, but I'm, I'm sure there are still uh, people and tribes that don't have a Bible even in their language. But we take it so for granted. How many of us have six or seven Bibles or more laying around the house? We don't realize the power that that Word of God has. And if we would begin to read it and allow it to change us and allow it to study us as we study it, we could be so transformed. But that's something that Bartholomew recognized was the transforming power of the Bible and the need to get it into people's hands. Now, Bartholomew was quite the scholar. Um, in with the preaching and the teaching and the translating and the uh, writing hymns and all of that that he was a part of, he was very closely studying uh, the literature of the Tamil people. He felt the Europeans were treating the Indian people with disregard, and he called their hand on it. And he said, you feel that your culture is superior to that of the Indian people. 
And he didn't believe that was so. He didn't believe there was a superior culture. He disagreed with this. And to that end, he began an intense study of their writings and even their religion. And the more that Bartholomew studied the culture and the history and the beautiful literature of the Tamil people, the more his respect for them grew. And you know what? Something else happened too. Their respect for him grew. But based on his studies, Bartholomew concluded that the Indian Hindus were seeking for the same thing everyone else was. And the answer was in Jesus Christ. And he said that he considered it an honor to introduce them to the one they had been longing for and seeking for. Now, before long, he convinced Martin Luther University in Germany to begin studying the Tamil language. And uh, so he started really promoting scholarship and study into the uh, Indian culture of this particular region. Now, his scholarship wasn't one-sided. It wasn't just him studying, but he felt like it was important that other people have a good, solid education. So he established schools for children, uh, Tamil, Portuguese, and Danish, and the Tamil and Portuguese students weren't charged tuition, and the Lord helped him get the money together to provide them with free room and board and meals. So this brought these children not only to an opportunity for an education, but an education in a Christian atmosphere led by a man who had devoted his life to spreading the gospel. And the Lord took care of those kiddos with free room, board, and meals. So money was not an issue. Money was not a hindrance to being exposed to an education and being exposed to the gospel. Now, you remember I said that he built a church for his converts, that the Colonials refused to worship with the Indian people because they thought they were their culture was superior to that of the Indians. So uh, Bartholomew talked to the Indian converts, and they built their own church, the New Jerusalem Church. And guys, get this. It still stands today. That church is still standing. It's still a church. It was restored after a tsunami in 2004, damaged it, and was rededicated in 2006. And if you look it up on the internet, you can find a picture of it. It is a beautiful uh, building, a white, very beautiful building. And I just think it's cool that that church still stands today uh, over 300 years later. Well, he returned uh, to Europe for a short time. While he was there in Europe, he got married. He came back to Tamil Nadu and got to work. However, his supervisor, they had sent him a supervisor, a missionary supervisor, was extremely hard on his people, including Bartholomew. And uh, Bartholomew passed away when he was only 37 years old. Only 37 years old. And his death is attributed to the stress that was created by this man's cruel treatment. Now, he left behind a tremendous legacy. And um, part of my 
podcast is based on some information that I got from an article in Christianity Today. He adapted the ancient Tamil script to fit the contemporary spoken language as he was translating the Bible, as he was helping them put hymns in their own language. And that is still the script that is in use today. The alphabet, so to speak. Now, I mentioned him starting schools for Portuguese, Danish, and Tamil children. Those schools were for both boys and girls, laying the foundation for modern elementary education in India. Now, I talked quite a bit about his fight against injustice, his fight against the Tamil people being abused and taken advantage of and exploited. He empowered women condemning abusive practices, and he paved the way for their eventual appearance in the workplace and their representation in politics. So according to Christianity Today, that's part of his legacy. And Bartholomew was responsible for a lot of firsts. He was the first Protestant missionary in India. He was the first missionary to preach a sermon in the native language Tamil. He was the first to introduce the printing press in India. He was the first to translate Tamil books into German so that German scholars and German people could appreciate the beauty of Tamil literature. He was the first to start a paper mill in India and the first to translate German hymns into the Tamil language. And he did all of this in a short 37 years of his life. Now, um, in 13 years as a missionary in India, Bartholomew won 250 converts, and his impact is still felt to this day, and he is still respected by both Christians and Hindus in that area of India. And one of the things that stood out to me as I studied Bartholomew's life was how he persevered in the face of opposition. He was opposed by the colonials. He didn't let that bother him. The, his benefactor that was supposed to be providing him for the funds to do his missionary work would forget to send the money. He didn't let that stop him. He just kept working and believing the Lord to provide. He was thrown in jail. He used that time instead of sitting back and saying, Well, Lord, I can't believe you let this happen to me. No, he used that as an opportunity to write a couple of books. He persevered in the face of opposition, and he had a huge impact. The other thing that I think is really neat about Bartholomew is he refused to think of any other nationality as being inferior to his own. And that was one of the things that gave him power as a preacher, power as a witness, power as a, uh, a missionary. He also worked hard to get the Bible out to people so they could know Jesus for themselves, so they could read the Bible for themselves and not just take someone else's word for what it said. And you know, if he worked that hard to get the Bible in the hands of his converts, how appreciative we should be that we have such ready access to the Bible. And what wondrous riches of the Lord's grace are we missing out on by not taking advantage of that. 
So, Bartholomus, he passed away at the young age of 37, but is considered a national hero in India. And I think it's a shame that he's not as well known in Christian circles in other countries, in supposed Christian countries, as he is in India. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast about Bartholomus. I hope his life and his attitudes were as challenging to you as they were to me. Thanks for listening.